0: you're listening to wnhh community radio 103.5 fm in new haven welcome to the table underground i'm your host Tegan engel we're digging deep into stories of food race radical love and creative social justice Our guests today are Andrea Corazzini and Chiara Matos of Whole G Bakery. They have a fabulous wholesale bread and pastry bakery in New Haven, Connecticut. They both moved to New Haven from Venezuela and in a relatively short amount of time have built up a successful bakery and two cafes featuring whole grain breads inspired by German baking traditions. It is clear from the food that they make and the beauty of their cafes, adorned with hand thrown pottery made by Chiara, that these two are both great artists. I invited them here today to share a little more of their story and, of course, some of their delicious bread spread across the table for us. Chiara and Andrea, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Tegan, for having us. What a wonderful presentation. Yes,
0: (laughs) you you brought an abundance of gorgeous things here for us. So I'm just wondering, before we dig into everything on the table here, can you tell me a little bit about how the two of you got into baking German breads?
1: Well, it was... As many things happens in in life, is is it was all coincidence. Um, there was I I've always worked in textile, um, and I've really never wanted to switch from a, from a work like textile to something like food. But when I first met a German couple that started a bakery very close to our house in Caracas, Venezuela, uh, I was m- mind blowing I thought that was absolutely wonderful. Everything about it. Uh, and the more I dug into it, the more I I really felt in in love with it. Until at a certain point, I wanted to make the switch, and mm. that's pretty much what happened.
0: And the switch from textile into yes, baking, yes, yeah. Uh,
1: it was it was first more as a um, um, business plan switch, uh, getting rid of the textile business to get into a bakery business, and again more as a business than as a baker. Yeah. But the more I got into the Business itself. The more I became a baker, and the more I became a baker, the the more I felt in love with it. Yeah, yeah. It's that.
0: easy to fall in love with. Yeah. I understand. That's what got me into cooking too. So, mm-hmm. and Chiara, you fell in love with it as well, or? And
2: you know, whole gra- um, German breads are hard on grain. You know, you can run. I mean, you there is a huge priority be- between white breads and hearty breads, but. The fact that it was so, so deliciously healthy. Mm. Um,
1: Rich and dense. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. yeah. I I I have I've always loved cooking, and uh, so falling in, in love with baking bread wasn't hard for me. You know? Right. Yeah. But but I'm more of the. Uh, I'm more of a pastry baker than a bread baker. Yeah. That's a part of it I love, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the difference with the German bread is that it's made with all of these whole grains and you brought this incredible uh, display of things here. Maybe you can tell me a little bit. You brought some raw ingredients, some flour and a yes. number of different starters. Where where would you, where do you want to start
1: here? Well, first, mm, just puntualize that Germans have more than 300 types of breads mm. and they go from very dense rye to very soft uh, wheat, also. Okay. So, um, that concept that we have that German bread must necessarily be heavy or very rice and sour is not necessarily okay. true. Okay. Um, so, following that, at the bakery at Hull g we use more than 15 types of flours. Wow. Going from uh, bread flour. Yeah. Uh, all the way to whole kamut. Okay. For example. Which um, is pass, an, ancient, through, an ancient green. It's right, exactly. Yeah. It's a uh, corazon wheat. Uh, passing through, obviously, all type of rice, medium, very coarse, very refined, to um, whole wheat, medium wheat, high extraction. Yeah, practically everything.
0: Yeah, which is so different than regular kind of American bread bakeries. They're often using a really highly processed wheat, and they sometimes have dough conditioners and diglycerides and all these other things well, in it. I so I
1: don't want to villainize, uh, <laughs> you know, because I, I used to before coming to America. I used I used to. ...vanalized about the fact that Americans don't like good bread and... <laughs> ...but then living here, I understood that there are many living constraints... Yes, that, uh, absolutely. have um, made bakers what they are today. Uh, the distribution, the cost, the fact that uh, bakeries in America are not anymore destination points. Mm. And in order to bake many different things, you need a lot of traffic and that's not happened. Yeah. So in order to survive... Um, Obviously, people have, have looked for this softer right. way to do it or the easiest path. That's right. That's To right. achieve it. Yeah, we're absolutely. playing the hard way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I know this is an art for you and is a deep love in your heart, and that's what's driving you to do it. So um, I would, even though I know a fair amount about bread, I'm not sure what most of these things you brought with you are. So maybe you can get us started with some of these yeah. Do you want yes. to start with actually the flowers, and then we'll go into the okay, starters? Okay, this is just
1: a, a, a little bit of samples of all the flowers that we use. But that one, do you have in your hand, is high extraction flour. High extraction it's- means that um, being whole wheat, hundred percent extraction. That means that the complete kernel goes into the flour. Okay, and bread flour, close to sixty percent. Uh, High extraction is maybe 90, 95 percent. That means okay. that's almost the whole thing is there. Right. And that gives you certain advantages uh, in terms of trying to achieve a very healthy bread with some volume and texture. Okay. Uh, we use that from from King Arthur and it's 100 percent organic. Uh, that's a whole rye uh, okay. rye meal, uh, very very mm, typical of German breads. And that's whole as You can see the the um, And this one is sort of the yellow colour and yeah. crystallisation is a very hard, brittle type of wheat
0: it has a feeling a little more like Almost a cornmeal, like yeah, yeah. Exactly. semolina exactly. It's, 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 so it's sort more of hard granular. to work with when you yeah. use it like that like so like does whole? this have a lot of gluten in it or not it's, as it's much it's a different
1: gluten it's a, it's a weaker gluten okay. than than the bread And the flour. gluten
0: kind of gives the structure to the bread so yeah. the
1: gluten is right it's going to allow you to make it like a balloon so you yeah <laughs> So do you have to <laughs> mix the camet
0: with other other well, flours to that hold a or good structure? achieving
1: the technique of, you know that these breads are have very zero tolerance when they when they need to go to the oven, they need to go to the oven. So they, as you mean, as it's waste. rising, because right. the
0: the gluten is like an elastic in the bread, right? And so exactly. as it rises, something that has more gluten, it can keep expanding like a balloon. Exactly. But are you saying that if it, if the gluten is not that strong, if it rises too much, then it, just, it, falls. it, collapses. it yeah. just collapses?
1: Yeah. Okay. So you have to
0: really know when to get this one in the oven. Exactly. All right. Zero
1: tolerance, and we don't use. That's why many uh, industrial bakers use some dough conditioners, so they have the time. To re- yeah. react or they can give the machine the tolerance to work. Mm. And in this case, everything is by hand. Yeah. Obviously. And that's, uh, that's a little bit of uh, the tendency now. It's called white whole wheat, which is a uh, 100% whole wheat, but uh, it's, um, it's roll-grounded. I don't love it, but again, you're getting 100% whole wheat. In a softer texture, mm-hmm. so we are without uh, compromising quality and and the healthy aspect that we want to include on every bread. We, we thanks to these flowers, we we can have a halfway. Right. So in do terms they take of some of the germ out or complete? Or of- no, no, no. It's a complete. It's a, it's a 100% entire thing extraction. is there. But it's, it's just very thinly grinder. ground. It's fine, it, yeah. more finely ground. Right. Okay. As Chiara points out, you know when people want whole wheat, they want to see yeah. Everything on it, and they want to feel right that it's not only the nutritious part of it, but it's also cleaning your stomach, you know? right? Well, it changes the
0: texture because the germ, which is part of the seed yeah, of the wheat, when be, it right. when you're kneading it, it actually cuts the gluten, right? And so you get like a different gluten structure with the whole wheat because it doesn't,
1: it but it's heavier also, so right. it's, it's heavier to lift at the bread, right. so it's obviously, yeah. yeah.
0: And this one, what's this one? This flour here, and
1: this is medium rye, medium rye, okay. It's, um. It's a it's, it's a halfway between um, super coarse rye meal and refined rye.
0: Okay. And are you is any are you, are these things milled specifically for you, or you're buying them already done this
1: no, way? No. What we need to buy specifically uh, to meal specifically for us, we mill it ourselves. We okay. have one of those Austrian beautiful ah, wood wooden meals. meals. All uh, right. I'm gonna and, have to come visit next week, nice and we'll for, get some pictures yes. up on the yeah. website. For the That's Balkan road, we mill everything on it.
0: Ourselves. Wow. Wow. So you have the flowers, and then you have some kind of more wet things here. What are these? This is the trick,
1: exactly. These are the the sours, and we keep four different sours all the time.
0: So, what do you mean when you say sours?
1: Um, The sour is the spontaneous acidificated uh, dough that you use as a starter instead of industrial yeast. And most of our artisan breads have that instead of uh, industrial yeast. So um, when
0: people hear sourdough, that's sort of what you're talking about. Like It's a, a, yeah, a naturally a fermented... Yeah, um, you a fermented know, and, and it flour. doesn't
1: have to taste sour, really. Right. You can have a sourdough become very sour or what they call a, a young sour, which is sure. not, not too sour. But in any case, the good thing about it is not only that you're not using industrial yeast, but also they are more digestible. It's a, almost halfway through... A, Mm. Uh, sprouted wheat and a regular bread.
2: Right.
0: It's like all,
2: the, all the good cultives in yogurt and stuff like the that. The cultures, you know? yeah. yeah. And yeah. then you, have right. to, you really have to smell this. It's okay.
1: Like, uh, we give uh, like? 5% acidification, like 7% acidification oh, wow. and yeah, 10% yeah, I love the smell of that.
0: The oh my brown. God, yeah, you can. Yeah. S- oh, It smells amazing. It has a nice sour, earthy and you can see this is super grainy too. Yeah, which one is this? It's
1: organic. This is the sourdough that goes into the Volkenbrot. Volkenbrot is the one that you have there.
0: So it's a very dense, it's a loaf bread that's baked in a pan, and it's very dense, covered with sunflower seeds, oats, flax seed, and other things, and it's a nice dense loaf bread. Yes. All right. And so that's a very grainy starter. It doesn't yeah, have I none remember. of the idea people have of. Yeah.
1: No, Our it's German, not the Levant. It's not the French Levant that is super elastic like the one you're seeing. Our oh, yeah. German
2: it's bread's like, teacher, mentor, would yeah. go crazy when he stuck his uh, right. nose on the rice hour. He loved
1: it. We, we were it's, very yeah. lucky to learn from a, from a German baker, mm-hmm. a young guy who, who is very was very passionate he, about it. Mm. I mean, and he was in, in Venezuela. Press, this guy was no, absolutely.
2: In crazy. Germany. In Germany.
1: Germany. Ah. Close to Frankfurt.
0: So you traveled there after getting hooked in in Venezuela. I I did travel for several times. Ah.
1: I worked in his bakery for for several periods. So
0: there are some good things that have come out of Germany too. Yes, yes. Um, Okay, so this is, I'm smelling the Levan, which is more what people would think of as a regular, kind of very more soupy, Right. if people right. have seen pizza dough in the grocery store yeah. it sort of mm-hmm. looks like that but yeah. a little more soupy it's more yeah. hydrated because yes. yeah. yeah it's a little more water uh-huh. it doesn't have a very strong smell it looks very no, silky that, and elastic you know, it looks you can, like kefir
1: you, almost get right. yeah, that gooey yeah. yeah yeah. this can go for another six hours and it will it will become very like more sour, San Francisco style okay. sour though I love the uh, taste I, of that yeah <laughs> I, we go halfway through that okay we don't want it too, too acidic. yeah, yeah. great and that's a little bit of uh, your own personal recipe, you right. know, how acidic you want it and right. how grainy you want it and all that stuff.
0: Mm, and so you have some other mixes here. This that... is a
1: mix that we do for our multigrain. And again, uh, one of the big problems that the bakery industry is having is that m- m- more and more bakeries are relying on premixes. Mm-hmm. So they don't do the hard work of uh, uh, toasting and putting their seeds, uh, scaling individually by their... Recipes but just like a
0: Buy a bag all mixed right, together just and just dump it in the mixer. It, right? yeah.
1: Even the sourdough is dehydrated, and that's why if you find one of those bakeries and you taste seven type of breads, they all taste the same. Right. People don't realize
0: even people who are saying they make their own donuts and, and cupcakes and things, some people are doing from scratch, but a lot of people are buying it, a mix from it, a it wholesale bakery. And, right. Everything's in it already, and that's also a lot of additives thing. like yeah. 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 hydrogenated oils and exactly. preservatives. P- oil and things like that. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. this one is... The smell is amazing. So this has...
1: That's for the muesli bread. Oh it has God. hazelnuts.
0: Hazelnuts. And, uh, the smell of hazelnuts hazelnut are is just... a, just, a great just, addition. And of yeah. course oh they are God. carefully toasted. And the sesame seeds. They're uh, perfect. Yeah. There's like this, they're very fresh uh, and delicious. Because they
1: say In every procedure, the, the breads are very simple. But um, as they say, this way to simplicity is very complicated. Yeah. Uh, every procedure uh, demands a lot of attention. Yeah. You can toast a bread by putting it at 200 Celsius... In the oven for five minutes or you can do the right way for 150 mm. 20 minutes and that's right. where the oils come out and the real taste so yeah and you really, don't get a burnt or rancid yeah, taste yeah, yeah. That's, that's a lot of.
0: Difference. it's a time and energy commitment but uh, it's beautiful so maybe we should taste a few things uh,
1: absolutely what would uh, one of my favorites lately is um what i call what we call the josephine bread mm-hmm. uh, which is a french french style uh, northern french it's probably the most similar to what an ancient bread uh, was maybe what was baked a hundred or 200 years ago is uh, again hundred percent natural event and is' a hundred percent the organic uh, high structure flour and that's how um, Millers a long time ago used to do it they in order to make it a little softer they would be able to To take just a little bit out of the uh, outside of the of the kernel, Mm -hmm. but not the complete. So the look at that here, the yeah.
0: So when you say the outside of the kernel, so you have a wheat kernel, and it's the the outside part and the germ, which is like the part that grows. The the germ, exactly. Those are the parts that. So this is a
1: little bit of everything, but just taking the um, the thicker part of it. But you're leaving in a proportional way a little bit of the whole thing. Yeah, that's why. So you're saying it has
0: more of the white flour and only some of the bran and the germ in it, which makes it a little bit lighter. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And look at the color. It's gorgeous. Beautiful. And then this, uh, gummy aspect and almost. Yeah. So this is a beautiful. I hate to compare it, but almost like a plastic thing uh, <laughs> it, it, that that reveals a long fermentation that's a lot of uh, yeah uh, enzymatic so activity So you're talking there. about
0: there's this there's a bubble in the middle right. when you cut it there's some holes in the bread and you can see the kind of elasticness of how it was rising and from from the fermentation of the of the starter so yeah. this is a beautiful round loaf you've cut these gorgeous designs in the top so it looks like you rolled it in flour and then made some cuts in it so it looks kind of like wheat or grain pattern on the top very Typical French and, style. And the way
1: cup. the way to taste the bread without tasting it, uh, you squeeze it right, and at the same time you squeeze, you squeeze and, and smell. You get all the smells and aromas. Oh my goodness! There is more than two hundred and fifty aromas in a in a bread. It's very complex.
0: Oh, wow! So it has almost a molassesy um, smell to right, it,
1: without having any type of that. It's just a long fermentation yeah. and the type of wheat that. We
0: yeah, I'm gonna break off a piece and so taste it. So the recipe for this is the. <laughs>
1: simplest recipe in the culinary world is just flour, water and salt and mm. you get yet this beautiful mm. texture it's delicious. and delicious taste. So this is what we are really everybody in the bakery in love. And even with. though it
0: has like a nice crust on it, it's not too yeah. thick, it's not too hard, it's not it's yes. not hard to chew. Right. That's and that's the right. texture of the bread is is moist but light and has a delicious uh-huh. chew uh-huh.
1: to it. But Claudia do notice and again that mm. talking about how uh, difficult is going through details even if it is very simple. You have to start this bread at 270 degrees Celsius which is almost 500 degrees Fahrenheit uh, 520 and then immediately lower it down mm. and then you achieve a very thin crust. Okay. And the so the
0: high the heat gets a thin crust then you well, then you and you bring it
1: down and the middle. So you don't burn it. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. Without super dark sections that wow. bring up. That, taste
2: that, that also it, uh, brings caramelization which is you know that sweet, that sweet, sweet smell. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and so are I a lot of if Right, the, the walnut cranberry bread that we make is a is an American classic with a very European take on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because again, it's, it's no commercial yeast, very slow fermentation, and a mix of all uh, type of flours, high extraction and kamut, and a little bit of rye, and mix this. Mm. The miller reaction makes this beautiful.
0: Product. This is my favorite breakfast. <laughs> yes, I love it's it too. It's a nice. sweetness from the cranberry.
1: And it's crusty I want to smell and tasty.
0: One. Yeah. So this is like, you can smell the not walnuts the and the cranberries. And it's beautiful. Just a beautiful round bread. Nice crust, but not too hard. And a moist crumb inside. Wow. So you guys didn't just come and open like a little cafe. Or we're going to bake a few loaves of bread in the back. You came... You moved to the United States from Venezuela, and are you originally from Italy as well? I am yeah? originally
1: from Italy. Yes.
0: Baking German bread, and you decided yeah. to open a wholesale bakery. So, how did this happen, and how did you get started? Well, we um,
2: we both come from a family of entrepreneurs. I would say, I mean, we and. Um, We are a little Titanic when we think about doing things. We want to be the best and do it the best we can. (laughs) So we we dive into stuff and we just go for the entire thing. So, you know, the reason why we came to New Haven was because I had lived in New Haven uh, as an English student and I met a wonderful family um, with whom I just uh, fell in love with. We fell in love with each other. And, you know, I kept coming to New Haven after that. And um, when we decided... To leave Venezuela, we 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 had choices, but we picked New Haven because we thought it was a great. We, we I just loved the community, and I I brought Andres for, uh, to visit, and uh, um, we picked New Haven. Or it's community. I always, I always tell people, for it, it's human factor. Yeah,
1: it's human factor. In community. <laughs> That's Everyday proofs that we make yeah. the right decision. Do you have any? Yeah, and and it's people. is also
0: amazing. Wonderful. So uh-huh. how? Did, it's not an easy thing to start a wholesale bakery. So how? And I, I think you had some, some help yeah. with that well, from another a, it, bread bakery. It no? was a very bold.
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, we wish it. We, we we were wishing it for for a long time and very. Hardly. And then, as, as they said, you have to be careful with what you wish, what you wish for. <laughs> once we were in the boat uh, sailing with it, it's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. There's the storms and there is uh, troubled waters and, and we had to navigate. Yeah. Uh, I, I must say that one of the big fortunes that we have had uh, is the, the, the team we have working with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody to be Wonderful, not only on their professional side, but on on their human side. From, from the shops uh, to the bakery. I have this wonderful French pastry a chef working with us, Kevin, uh, which is uh, an amazing guy. Um, and that crossing a little bit from entrepreneurial to the social aspect, the more we think that the bakery can navigate troubled waters and uh, settle into a successful business, which is not yet, but eventually we'll get there, The more we feel the compromise, obviously share this hard work with everybody. Um, But that's too soon to to tell because you have to create wealth before you can uh, speak about uh, Mm. giving away or or sharing. Sure, Uh, but but we have that in mind very much, especially being inspired with the people that or by the people that we work with.
0: Yeah, and what are I know that you are very involved in the community. You have children here and. And so are there ways, even though you can't give away a lot because you're still trying to make a profit, are there, what are ways that you try to help and work in the community?
2: Well, the the two biggest things we do, um, we work, we work a lot with the Eli Whitney Museum and we have a fundraiser with them. Uh, so we have, we have a, a Thanksgiving fundraiser for IRIS, for their program for
0: IRIS. Which is a immigrant um, and refugee resettlement.
2: Yeah. And, uh um i do uh, as a potter i do a holiday sale and you know a percentage of, of a percentage of that goes to the light witness uh, i um Iris program as well and you know we I, donate everything yeah. that we don't sell since we, we bake fresh every we day do-
1: we donate uh, everything we do from from the most expensive items to mm. to the most cheap everything to to food banks in the afternoon mm-hmm. uh and and whenever there's a fundraiser that we think yeah. that that is worth giving, we always supply with yeah. everything we can.
0: That's great. Yeah, either
2: pottery or baked goods. Right. Yeah, right. it goes both ways. Yeah. yeah.
0: How yeah. do you, fun. how do you think about um, the fact that the bread you're making, it's, it's really expensive to make because you're using all these grains. You're not mm. just using a, a mix. And so you have to charge more for it. As you said, you're, you're still kind of struggling to really yeah. make your business profitable. How, and I know that you care very much about the community and people you want Ideally, everyone to be able to eat this bread. How how do you grapple with that as as bakers, as business owners, just the the cost and and how it kind of makes it inaccessible to some people?
1: It's it's part of doing business as a baker, definitely. Um, since I'm European and and bread in Europe, it has been uh, also here before before the war. It's it's an essential part of of the diet of of a country and normally um lack of bread or or lack of accessible bread have caused uh, riots in in france and very discomforts in other countries so we are aware of uh of that we're handling something that has that tradition mm-hmm. and and needs to be affordable um we have fancy breads that are very expensive but we have uh, m- m- all the breads that are, that are that don't have any fancy flowers, and the main reason why we do that is because we want to keep in the shelf keep it uh, price yeah. marked uh, bread. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely.
0: Yeah, and bread everywhere has gotten more expensive. So. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, sometimes it's uh, it's it, they they're getting too fancy and too expensive without <laughs> really uh, supporting what they're selling. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, in general terms, it's going up.
0: Yeah, I find it a challenging thing because. Um, the way our food economy has changed in terms of how much ingredients cost and how much people are able laborers workers are able to be paid has not matched the income like incomes have not increased but costs of, of making things and doing business has increased and so you kind of we have this economy where at one point people could afford to buy things because the ingredients were more affordable and it, and now it you know mm. the way our economy has changed over many decades it it makes things yeah, less that's, affordable. Uh, that's a
1: that's a complex subject. Because, yeah. uh, you know, you can talk about also what what people select to eat, uh, mm-hmm. and m- many times they are buying food that is not uh, that is not good, that is not nourishing, and they are spending more time, more money on yeah. doing that. And and that's part of our, our cultural education that the the, con- the country as a whole needs to work.
0: Yeah, there's been a real culture change. So some is education, some is yeah. what people have access to, yeah, yeah. some is just what yeah. what they are used to eating because that's what they yeah. were given. So there's so many there's so many factors that go into that.
2: With um, the with the big with the big issue that heavily industrialized food is much cheaper than hardy, whole, local. Right, stuff. it's a crazy yeah, thing. So it's, you, it's a big big dilemma,
0: definitely. Right. We need to. Yeah, you'd think that the things yeah. that were that were more processed and took more work and got shipped from very far yeah. it should cost more money right yeah so it's it's an unnatural thing that those things end up Incredible. costing yeah. less mm-hmm. so i want to jump back into some food because there's some other beautiful things on the table here well, in this, addition this to all the
1: temptations are done by <laughs> by kevin the pastry chef and that you have a Cunhaman, you have uh um Shukets, and then you have regular sablé cookies and that is uh chiara's recipe it's a pasta fiora from uh, uh, her grandmother which is always, uh, we, we carry with a lot of pride. This one here with yeah, the jelly on mm-hmm. it. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a guava paste. Oh, beautiful. It's an Italian classic with uh, South with American. With a Venezuelan twist. Yes, with yeah. a
2: <laughs> <twist>.
0: <laughs> So these are all pastries that you carry in the cafes. You have two cafes, yes. one on Orange Street in New Haven and one on Main Street in Brantford, oh, right? Brandford, yes. Yes, and they're such beautiful places. Chiara, <laughs> Chiara's you. pottery, you have the lampshades. And tell me a little bit about the pottery that you've done for the cafes. Well,
2: the other passion we kind of share is uh, a passion for b- beautiful places where you can, where you want to just be and mm-hmm. stay. And Andreas, actually, the, 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 the actual sense of the spaces and color and furniture has always been Andreas' take. It's, it's a natural in that. And then, you know, with the fact that I do pottery, we just make a wonderful mix of, you know, creating these spaces we're very proud of. Yeah. yeah. And... um.
0: Yeah, they're very beautiful spaces. They're sort of a mix of like a modern environment but also very warm and inviting and I love it's like has a clean feeling to it, but you don't it's not cold, right? It's not you don't you feel like, Oh, I could I could really (laughs) sit here And, and the two places have very different feelings, the New Haven one and the Brantford one. So um yeah, so you have what else do you have at the cafe? You have all of your bread for sale at the cafe. You also sell at the farmer's markets, the city seed farmer's markets. Right. And so what else do you have at the cafes? The, the,
1: the cafes started as uh, an idea. Mm, we thought that we were going to communicate faster and more directly with customers if we would try to sell the bread ourselves. Um, so they started as uh, as that idea, and then Chiara introduced a bread-based menu. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Um, sorry, you cut me. Um, so we thought that the best way to get people to buy the bread was to have get a them bake. To eat it. Yeah. But so, <laughs> and uh, we thought what the best way to do it is to show them what we do with the bread on a regular basis. What we use the full corn for. What you would use the the rye breads for. And yeah. so we developed this menu that was considering health and the breads. Right. You know. And, and
1: keeping in mind the same line of the bread, which is simplicity, good stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, simple things, which is yeah. also yeah. part of my tradition.
0: Yeah, yeah it's a delicious so menu. You have sandwiches, yeah. you have salads, but not just like a mescaline mix from you know a wholesale baker. You have like a shaved uh, yeah, kale salad and the super salad, salad, saw, and, yeah. the super salad yeah. and I've seen you have um, bread toast with avocado and egg on top. Yeah, that's a great one. So yeah. there's some really delicious, kind of a little bit. A little bit step up from what people find at kind of your average American. Thank you for not to uh, yeah. cafe and bakery, <laughs> and you also have these. So you mentioned a few of these delicious desserts that you have, um, and there's a lot more in the, yeah, in the, the bakery, oh yes, in the pastry yeah, side. Of course yeah. There's croissants, yeah,
1: uh, croissants bon chocolat, and, uh, and, tarts, and yeah, cookies. Just name it. You right.
0: have a gluten-free chocolate cookie that's amazing. Yeah, everybody. Nice, cr- yeah.
1: <laughs> glossy,
0: crackled top. Yeah, that's very yeah. delicious and great coffee.
1: It's my favorite. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having these two beautiful bakeries that, you know, bring a lot of life to two cities here and a lot of delicious food. And I wish you so much luck with your amazing bread.
1: Thank so. you, Tegan. Thank you for thank having you. us. And and we are s- incredibly happy to be in New Haven and have uh, supportive people like you.
0: Yeah. We're here to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like I have a lot more to learn. Um, So I'm going to be coming down to your bakery, I hope, next week, and I'll take some pictures and and write some things up that people can see on the website. Right. Looking forward. Yeah. Welcome to The Table Underground. I'm Tegan Engel, your host. The second segment of today's show is with a guest, Christina Erskine. She's a youth organizer with Community Food Advocates in New York City. Chris is 21 and worked her way up from being a young urban farmer at her high school in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Now, she's a youth organizer, currently leading a campaign to secure free school lunch for all children in New York City. I met Chris at the Just Food Conference in New York, where I was very impressed with the speech she gave. I was even more impressed by the conversation she had with me on the phone later. Lucky for you, I'm going to share it today. What follows is the first half of our rich conversation. You can hear the full interview with Chris coming up soon at TheTableUnderground.com. Chris, thank you for joining me today.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Please share your speech with us.
3: When I was an urban farmer in high school, I never thought I would be here today. I never imagined the food justice movement would be so vast and alive. Through my years of farming, organizing, teaching, and learning, it has become evident that all oppression is connected. That is why we have such beautiful, diverse energy with us here today at the Just Food Conference. But why are we all here? What drives us, despite all that makes us different, to be here? That's the thing about food. Food is immeasurably powerful because while it is so personal, it is also universal. We can all think of a dish that smells like a feeling. We can all think of a treat that cradles us. We can all think of the energy and story behind flavor. And even though this looks different for everyone, we can all share the story that transcends sight and sound. The story that is food. And that is why when we are looking at food justice, we aren't just looking at 8 million different ways to prepare kale or telling people how to be healthy. We are looking at communities healing themselves. We are looking at people reconnecting with energy that was hidden away from them in time. We are looking at reclaiming the cradle of civilization. The reason we can explore art, science, and ourselves is because we have food stability. Without food, we would still have to hunt. But why do we see people on the hunt today? We have seen people on the hunt for money, hope, understanding, love, justice, and so on. Because for them, the story food tells is one of awkward pauses and accusatory glances. Food says to them, you don't have the privilege to find funky kale recipes. You need to survive. I am not a game. You need to survive. Your mother worked hard for me, so you better clean your plate. And as the food awkwardly settles in their stomachs, they don't get to think about which BuzzFeed-inspired dish they would have preferred to eat. It has been decided for them systemically. And so food justice is not just the individual's responsibility. This is not only about telling people why they should not eat that. It is not only about telling people to buy this instead. It is not just about telling people they have the power to change. Because for some people, that is not liberation. It is about looking at why. Food justice is also about systemic responsibility, holding the system accountable and creating deep, sustainable change that does not assume the individual can eat this or can buy that.
0: So I think that the words that you shared, first of all, are very beautifully written, and that the substance of what you said is really powerful. And there's a number of different really important points that you draw on in your speech, um, talking about the systemic nature of things about choice and individuality and privilege and the different dynamics that go on in food justice work and in the food movement. And I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit about some of the experiences that influenced your perspectives and the things that you shared in that speech.
3: Sure, so I guess I'll start with where I came from, which um it was a urban farm on a school campus. So I went to high school in Bushwick and my friends and I helped start a uh, an urban garden on campus which eventually became a farm and at first it was something that a lot of people didn't embrace because you know the school is predominantly hispanic the neighborhoods predominantly an immigrant community and people don't associate farming with power and that was one thing that was astonishing to me but then i understood why so concretely and that was the first moment that i realized that food is not going to be what everyone thinks it is. When I tell people what I do, they either think I work with kids or they think that you know I'm coming up with like fun recipes and like teaching communities how to do these things. When the communities I'm in, they know how to farm, they know how to prepare food. Their ancestors have been doing it. The, the issue is actually looking at healing these communities and working with them so that they're able to find power within their rich culture. Yeah. So that was one of the first things that I thought of when I was asked to do this speech because. It seems to be a theme with a lot of the young people that I work with. Either they don't want to farm for some reason they can't explain, or they just don't find farming as something that's powerful. So that's one thing that I wanted to bring up, that people don't really look at how powerful food is, but then looking at why. You know what I mean? What does that mean for certain communities? The other thing that I wanted to bring to this conversation in terms of my speech was making sure that both sides of the argument can understand each other. You have the community where people might look at them and say, oh, people of color don't want to eat healthy or they don't care about this. And then you have people of color who think, oh, white people have the privilege to, you know, experiment with their food. We can't do that. You know, we just have to by whatever it takes to survive. Mm. But I wanted these two sides to understand each other and understand that they have to work together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Can you explain in a little more detail why you think it is that people are not seeing food and farming as powerful?
3: These people, you know, most of their parents or even their grandparents, these people were exploited. These people know about slavery. And we That's know great. that, you know racism colors and there's so many different factors when we're looking at systemic oppression that you know subconsciously get ingrained into people's mentality so much so that for example my family in Jamaica, they don't want to be farming anymore. They want to be more Americanized. And it's so ironic that they would rather, you know, go to a market and buy fruit when you have a tree in your yard. So this is a mentality that people of color have been conditioned to adopt. They want to get as far away from slavery, what they look at as oppression as possible, when they don't realize that Growing food is so extremely powerful. Being able to sustain yourself is the cradle of civilization, as I said in my speech. If you right. don't have food, you can't you don't have time for things that people take for granted. You don't even have time to explore love, for example, because you just need to survive. Mm-hmm. And you have people in that survival mode today, and they don't have time to realize that, you know, buying healthy food is an investment in your health they just look at it as, you know, this, I just need this fuel for right now to survive. They're not looking at it long term.
0: Absolutely. You said that so well. And I think that that's some of the healing that has to happen in order for people to really kind of embrace their full life and power and place in society. And
3: Yeah, definitely. But I think once this hurdle is, you know, one that's in the past, this will be something that people can look at as extremely empowering and something that's just so beautiful. Because if you think about it, all of the recipes that come out of slavery, for example, I'll speak to um, my background with Jamaican beef patties, for example. Most people, they try them, they think they're so flavorful. But why is there so much seasoning? Because we had to preserve the meat, mm-hmm. you had to preserve food. So you get some beautiful flavor out of this... terrible traumatic experience and i think that yes we do need to get through the trauma but we also need to look at how beautiful and strong we are for coming up with these creative recipes these creative ways to grow food and these things that people are leaning towards now that they're seeing the harmful effects that all these chemicals and everything has had people are going back to this way that ultimately is the right thing to do we do need to love our planet and love our food from the moment we start planting it to the moment we kill it or harvest it all the way up to consuming it
0: when you work with youth now and you kind of come at them with some of this beautiful and very deep stuff that you're saying how do you find them responding to that
3: That's the thing. It's always very tricky to learn where to connect with um, young people around this issue, especially with them coming from different backgrounds. So at Bushwick Campus Farm, the first thing that we do when we're working with um, the summer youth that are working there is we ask them to bring a dish from home, whatever it is that they want. And we also allow them to harvest whatever they want from the farm to go home and, you know, integrate into that dish. So it's not
0: too much of an expense for them. Exactly. It on their own.
3: And then they also get the thrill of tasting organic food, which is, I, I could go on about this, but <laughs> they taste a tomato and they're like, oh, tomatoes right. actually taste good. They're yeah. not all sour and bitter like the ones from the supermarket. So we let them harvest whatever they want from the farm, prepare a dish at home, and then everyone brings in what they made, and we just all sit and eat together. And that's how we start. We let the food speak for itself in terms of how powerful it is, looking at, you know, the connections between this student whose family is from Africa and this student whose family is from the Dominican Republic. You know, how is this dish similar? Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, everything always tastes really good together. despite everything being so different. yeah. So that's actually how I break the ice with young people on the ground in terms of farming. That's so great, just
0: because in in that one experience, that one exercise of having them bring something in, you're immediately communicating to them that they matter, that their history matters, their family, their culture, their tastes. And that's like a very powerful thing to communicate as a first point of engagement with youth.
3: It definitely is. And I also feel like it captures something that we, well, or at least I can't quite articulate. You know what I mean? Like I cannot quite articulate what just sitting down, eating together, tell us about this dish. What is it called? How is it made? Drawing similarities. And then the conversation just, you know, goes up from there. I can't quite articulate just the magic that's created there
0: you know, a lot of what you talked about in your speech is the importance of systemic change. And Mm -hmm. some people can be critical about this kind of individual change about like people eating together and cooking together and say, oh, that's so touchy-feely kind of stuff. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that since you both are working on this very individual transformative level as well as thinking about and working on systemic change. Can you speak to why that kind of individual healing work is important and and or connected to the systemic change that we need to have happen.
3: Sure. So yeah, we have that activity on um, Bushwick campus with the farm, right? But with the young people that I'm working with now, so I'm working with Community Food Advocates, which is a nonprofit organization that is currently spearheading the Lunch for Learning campaign. Mm -hmm. So it's a campaign to make sure all New York City public school students have free school lunch. So obviously, we're looking at, you know, policy advocacy around food justice. So when we're working with these young people and getting them to understand systemic change, we start off with the Raining Rocks activity. It's basically an activity where you have this story about a village that, you know, is just living peacefully and all of a sudden... A man on top of this mountain starts throwing rocks down at them Mm. and this man is trying to you know build up a hotel or something like that so it's looking at the villagers who want to you know stay there and you know help people who are injured and so on but then there's another group of villagers who want to go up and talk to him so in that story they get to look at the difference between you know band-aid solutions and why that's important Mm. you know like for example emergency food providers or other things that are you know short term like in the moment you need this but then looking at why it's exactly that an emergency and why you do need to get to the root of the issue and make sure that the system is accountable for doing whatever it's done so those two activities although they're very different are extremely important in getting young people to understand not only their role in you know looking at systems and looking at themselves, but I think it also helps them to understand that the individual is just as important as a system. The thing about the system is that it's not some natural law that we cannot change. No, it's made up of individuals. And a lot of times, the young people who are understanding themselves in terms of how the system affects them, they go on to have that perspective inform how they interact with the system. So it's almost this like cyclical relationship where they understand that looking at the self is just as important as looking at the system and holding the system accountable. And I think that a lot of um, like the different ways that we, learn for example or different ways that we express ourselves they're not explored fully because there are so many like rigid things in place so to people who think that you know looking at individual healing work um as something that's you know too intimate or just not something you should focus on i mean i think that lauren hill said it best how are you gonna win if you're not right within you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like you do have to work on yourself Mm -hmm. you do have to make sure communities um are healing themselves in order to continue to do this work
0: yes absolutely well thank you so much i really appreciate everything that you shared with me today
3: thank you so much
0: you're welcome You can hear the rest of my conversation with Chris Erskine coming soon at thetableunderground.com. This is Tegan Engel. I'm your host, and you're listening to 103.5 FM in New Haven, WNHH Community Radio. Check us out online, streaming, on iTunes, and other sites. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening.